You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your home, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is Jeanne-Marie Pennell, host of The Art of Parenting. And today I have a very special guest to my heart because she happens to be a mentor of mine for many years. Uh, I was trying to think how long, but it's been over a decade for sure. And uh, so today I have the pleasure of speaking with Jane Nelson. And Jane Nelson is the author of many, many books on positive discipline. And uh, I wanted to just have a good conversation with her. She's been traveling the world, uh, sharing her wisdom, and she is home for a while. And so we thought we would just sit down and have this conversation. So welcome, Jane, and welcome home. Thank you. And it's my pleasure to be here. And I want to say right off the bat that I love watching your podcasts and videos where you show these great little toys that people can be made at home. And that are so much more interesting than anything you can find in a store. So I sure hope that people go and check those out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, they're there. It's kind of my passion to share with the world. Everything that's around the house is a toy for children, right? They're in full discovery mode and, and, and so curious that we just need to be there to engage and, and such. Um, so today, to, for us to get started, Jane, I would love for you to define for us your, well, your definition of the art of parenting. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that I only have about 20 books that do that. <laughs> exactly. But what is, what is today's definition? <laughs> well, you know what's interesting, uh, Maria, is that I usually seem to develop a theme just about every year or so. And I, mm -hmm. I remember when the theme was no more logical consequences, at least hardly ever, when I found that parents were trying to disguise punishment by calling it a logical consequence. And then I remember when the theme was connection before correction, and uh, which helped so many people understand why some of the things they didn't work, do work, because they didn't wait until they could make a connection. and and um, Right now, it's the importance of teaching both belonging and significance, which I think that many people have misunderstood. And so I now equate belonging with love, and you can give children love, but significance I equate with responsibility, and you can't give children responsibility. You have to teach it to them. And I think that. So many parents who are drawn to positive discipline just do so because they don't want to do punishment. But then they also go a little bit to the other extreme and they may become permissive because 
they don't teach the responsibility part. They think that the way to teach belonging and significance is through giving them love. And yet it's very unloving for children to miss out on the development of responsibility. And also, you know that we have the theme of being kind and firm at the same time. And kind is the love part, and firm is the responsibility part. And firm does not mean mean. It just means respecting your child enough to know of their many capabilities, even for very young, when they want to help. They, they, want, they feel so capable. And, and when we say, no, no, you're too little, we are just... Um, destroying that basic need or desire for them to want to help and to contribute. So really wanting to help parents from a very young age realize how important it is to help their children develop, uh, feel love, and learn responsibility. Beautiful. So before we get uh, a little bit too involved in our conversation, if we could just go back and if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to do the work that you're doing. I, I will have, you know, your full bio in the show notes, but just if you can give in, in, in a short little <laughs> snippet of, of, you know, what you've been doing for, for, for so many years and sharing all of this wisdom with parents around the world. Well, I just wanted to be a good parent and I didn't know how. And I would uh, think that there was only the two alternatives. So I would be very permissive until I couldn't stand my kids because that just teaches them to take advantage and be me, me, me. And so then I would skip to being too um, authoritarian and lecturing and punitive and didn't like myself and that didn't work either. So I was just uh, decided to take a class in child development. And I say I have what I call my before, during, and after children, the ones that were raised before positive discipline, the ones that were three, five, and seven when I started taking these classes, and then the two that came after. And I was just so surprised at the wonderful things I learned when I took my first child development class, and I was lucky enough to have a professor who said, we're not going to teach you a bunch of theories. We're just going to teach you one theory that really helps children learn self-discipline, responsibility, cooperation, problem-solving skills. And that theory was the Adler, Alfred Adler and Rudolf Dreicher's theories, the theory in psychology. And of course, I was an obnoxious learner. <laughs> it's like, it is such a paradigm shift to um, give up both permissiveness and punishment and find ways that are really empowering to kids that just almost seem to go against our um, instincts or, or whatever until we do it. And then we think, oh, this is just common sense. But I used to uh, challenge my professor, something work. <laughs> but then I would try it, and it did work. And if it didn't, it was because I had missed an important piece that I would learn later. And so as, as I finally kept doing it and found out how well it worked, I just wanted to share it with other people. But I do want to say right now that it does not mean that you will become a perfect parent, and it does not mean your children will become perfect. But it right. does, does mean that you sure can enjoy the process along the way. And especially because you feel that yes. great theme that we have of mistakes or op opportunities to learn. And so that actually when you make a mistake, it's a gift to you and your child because they learn that perfection isn't, isn't ideal, and that you can always 
go back and recognize the mistake and work on solutions and make things better than ever. Right, right. And I love what you say about, you know, what, what was maybe what you call instinct. But to me, it seems like what you've taught us, I mean, through, through your books and, 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 and the workshop and understanding better the, the, this whole idea of significance and belonging is that to me, it now feels like that's the instinct. So it's, it's more about kind of rewiring maybe our parenting brain and what, how we were parented, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you were parented very differently than the way you parented those last two uh, children of yours. Yeah, and I'm really glad you picked up on that because I don't think it is instinct. I think it is learned. Mm-hmm. And, but also what we do when we're doing either punishment or even when we're loving too much, if that's you know, some people say, how's that possible? And I guess it's not possible to love too much, but it's, it is love, possible to love in ways that hurt more than help, like when you pamper children. And this is one of the things that Adler said was one of the biggest mistakes that uh, parents make is when they pamper. And, but it's like the things that um, seem, mm, that are learned rather than instinctual, also are the things that we usually do when we are upset when we're not coming from right. our rational brain and so one of the main things is to help parents first of all i i love now teaching how can you expect children to control their behavior when you don't control your own so so the thing is is for us to learn to model when we're upset to self-regulate take, take deep breaths calm down until we can come from our heart because when we come from our heart that's when we do what feels good and what is um, the most uh, encouraging to our children. Right. And I know you have a phrase that has stuck with me for forever is this notion of, you know, how do we expect to, for children to do better when we make them feel worse? Like the, the, this whole, and that to me is the way I was somewhat brought up, right? We were, we were told we had done something bad and were made to feel awful, yet not really learn from those mistakes. So that is a big, big shift. Well, that is the whole premise of punishment. The whole right. idea that you make children feel bad and that will motivate them to do better. And the sad thing is sometimes it works uh, in mm. that it stops the behavior right now, but at a great cost. And when I'm talking about this idea of love and responsibility, when children have learned a lot of love, but not responsibility, they may achieve things in life and do well, but of great loss to themselves, their self-esteem. They're always doing it to please others or because that's what they've taught makes them good. And on the other hand, children who get too much love without responsibility grow up in that me, me generation thinking, you know, it's all about me. And so they don't learn or it's the joy of giving and, contributing, which, by the way, Jean um, Marie, I want to just share that I think children are born with this desire to want to give and to help. And I, I love the videos that I show that anybody can find on YouTube. Uh, the, uh, the research by Thomas Sello and what's the other guy's name? Uh, Warnikin, W-A-R-N-E-K-E-N where they take these 18-month-old children into a room with the mother, 
And the researcher starts putting clothespins on a clothesline and then accidentally on purpose drops them. And it is just so fascinating to watch this little 18-month-old child watch what's happening and then see that the researcher needs help and toddle over there and pick up that clothespin and hand it with such satisfaction. And, you know, which just really shows that children want to help. And when we do too much for them, we take away that. It's the same as if we never walk, talk to children. They have the capability to learn to talk, but it has to be nurtured. And they're, they're born with right. the capability and desire to contribute, which is just not, uh, it needs to be nurtured. Just this is uh, language. Yeah, no, so true. And I know that that's a lot of the work that I do is really encouraging parents to give them the tools to be able to really have the children from a very young age be helpful contributors. Because like you say, they, they, that's like their sole desire is they just want to be doing what we're doing. They've been watching us, they've been observing us, and they just want to jump right in and, and help and be part of it. So um, it's it's true, and, and it is for me. It's that's factory setting, right? Of of that they come to us so pure and loving, and just wanting to contribute from from a very early age. Well, some parents are so shocked so, yes. when I tell them that two year olds can help scramble eggs, and I don't mean they course. can do it by themselves, but to get them up there on a stool where you're supervising, and you might have a little eggshell mm-hmm. in your egg, but they just feel so competent when they crack that egg open and they whip it up and they scramble it on the stove with supervision. It's just uh, something that makes them, helps them to really feel significant. And exactly. And, and, and that, that beautiful self-esteem just flourishes. Um, Jane, I would love to know if any kind of modern day research, because you've been doing this for, for quite some time now, but is there any new research coming out these days that kind of confirm a lot of what Adler was saying about the brain and such? Because I feel that now we are able to know a lot more about what's going on in our children's brain or even in our adult brain. And have you discovered any new research or had any new revelations uh, recently that confirm all of the work that you've done? Only all of it. It's like what I just love (laughs) is that all of the research, the neuroscience research, is validating what we have taught. Yes. And Mm -hmm. that is just so gratifying because the problem is, is that so much of this research is buried in academic journals. So it doesn't get out there to the parents who are using punishment and tampering so that they can really understand what happens in the brain and why, even though it seems to work momentarily, because I tell you, kids love reward, but that doesn't help them feel, do things for the inner satisfaction rather than starting to learn that they have to depend on the evaluation of other people. And of course, we know that punishment works temporarily, but um, Carol Dweck, research, which is not brand new, but on uh, teaching the, um, the, the, what's the, mind? the growth, yeah, the mindset. growth mindset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and so we get to look back at all of our tools. And, and I do want to mention that the tools, the positive discipline tools, 
one of the things that I wanted to share from the very beginning is if I'm going to tell people not to do punishment rewards, and they need to know, okay, well, what else is there? And so we have always focused on lots of tools that people can do instead. And, you know, we have the tool cards that people can choose, and there's 52 of them. And so the, uh, I think that uh, research shows that every single one of them are effective. In fact, you know that Kelly Grafreyer and I recently wrote a book uh, for teachers, for positive discipline teacher tools, and because she loves research, uh, she included the research for every single tool we talk about and, and how it has been validated in the research. So even, you know, because the same tools are applicable, whether it's for children or in the classroom, and of course now we use them in marriage and in the workplace. So uh, these, these tools are based on the theories of Adler and Dreikers that have just stood the test of time and keep gaining more popularity now uh, because they also uh, are proven by these. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to ask a question that one of my listeners uh, sent in, and this is just just to, to maybe illustrate some of these tools. So let's say we have a young child, maybe a, a two, two-year-old, 18-month-old, two-year-old, who is fascinated with his plate or her plate and throws it on the floor. How would you go about kind of helping them understand that that is not the most appropriate thing to do right now, or how do, how do we redirect that behavior? Well, first of all, you have to understand that it is the most appropriate thing for them to do with that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it's, yes. You know, one of the reasons we have positive discipline in the first three years and positive discipline for preschoolers is because we have to consider development uh, and age-appropriate behavior. And I did teach child development for 10 years at a community college. And I just, it's so sad to see things, kids punished for things that are developmentally appropriate. Now, mm-hmm. so but this doesn't mean we should let them do everything that is developmentally inappropriate. But what I suggest at this age, and I'll bet you have plenty of tools for this too, or, or, is that they do first understand that children, they're developing their brain by dropping things. They're these little scientists who are figuring out what happens when they drop and they get such a delight for seeing where it goes. And so what I would do, though, is uh, they're telling you I'm done. When they start throwing their food on the floor, they're done. So they're off the, their prey and give them something and say, okay, well, let's drop this ball or this whatever for five minutes. I'll play that game with you. Uh, so which is just so much more appropriate than scolding them or trying to punish them to make them stop doing something that there is appropriate for them to do. Right, right. And I love what you say, because it's very much in line with how, you know, I really help parents observe what they're doing. Like, like you say, it's, it's part of their curiosity and their little, you know, scientific mind that is just trying to figure what will what will happen let me see and so here you're just satisfying that same need by giving them something that is appropriate to throw so yes very much so and I think there are so many things like that that this is one of the reasons why it just breaks my heart to see a little two-year-old sat in 
punitive timeout and told, or the naughty chair is one of the TV shows was showing to put two-year-olds on the naughty chair. And oh, I know, it just, and they don't realize that uh, children at this age are developing their sense of self. And, you know, will that child is sitting in that naughty chair for doing something that was developmentally appropriate, most likely, uh, that they're deciding, I'm a bad child, I'm a bad person. Now, they're not mm -hmm. conscious of this mm -hmm. at that, that age, but it's like, this is why it is so important. Oh, I just want to give another example. I'll never forget the woman who said to me, but I have to spank my child to teach him not to run in the street because it's a matter of life and death. And I said, well, let me ask you something. After you have spanked your child, will you now let him play in front of a busy street unsupervised? And she said, well, no. I said, well, what if you spank him 100 times? Then will you let him play in front of the street unsupervised? Oh, no. And it's because she realizes in this is where there is instinct, knowing that that child is not developed enough responsibility uh, and judgment to be near a busy street. So they, they right. just, you know, sometimes I say for the children this age, you know, the three most important tools you can use, supervision, supervision, supervision. <laughs> and again, this doesn't mean that you let children do whatever they want. It's just that you don't punish them for what they do that is inappropriate. And you might use a lot of distraction and redirection and teaching them without expecting them to learn. And I want to explain what that means. You can teach children to stare, for example, but don't expect them to learn it. Some of them never. You know, we have adults who still don't stare. But <laughs> if you teach them the concept, and don't praise them when they do, but just maybe acknowledge and uh, validate their feelings when they do, and also help, help them understand that there are times when they don't feel like sharing, just like adults. And, and I, I, I wow. loved, just loved listening to Bev Boss. I don't know if you've ever heard Bev Boss, but um, I oh, she uh, did lectures at uh, NAEYC, and I just loved it when she said, trying to teach a child to say, I'm sorry, is the same as teaching him to lie. And she right. said, she'd so somebody from the audience and says, you know, she would say, are you Italian? And they'd say, no. She said, well, I want you to say you're Italian. Said, Come on, say you're Italian. And that's what we teach when we say to children, now you tell them your story. On the other hand, right. later, after they have done something, you can help them explore by saying, when you took that toy, how do you think Johnny felt? And uh, they could probably say bad and say, you can even ask them what you think you could do to help them feel better. And then quite often, once they've calmed down, they often will come up to you, well, I could give it back or I could share. And, and you can say, would you like to do that now, or would you like my help? So, so you keep teaching them through exploring with them. I love the idea of curiosity questions, where you help children learn, because so often they know so much more. And when they, of course, it doesn't work when they're upset. But when you wait for a calm period, and then you can teach them, and, and they're just off already so wise in so many things. But still, don't expect them to use it all the time. Right, right. And when you say that, when you tell the story, I, to me, it, it's also a matter of us 
feeling like we need to intervene all the time. And I, I've observed young children who, you know, if we do not step in right away, like if we give them the time to kind of work things out, they actually work things out just great on their own. We, we tend to want to control everything. And, and I think that that's also maybe when parents get in, in situations because they didn't give the children enough time to, you know, to figure things out among you themselves. You know, that could not be true. And when you observe children in a child care center, it is so interesting to watch how they often will solve the problem by themselves if given time. And parents often or teachers get in wanting to solve a problem with children when they're still upset. But if you just stand back and observe, of course, you can't let them get hurt. But if you observe, right. they're usually handling the solving the problem themselves and are best friends within 20 minutes. But if parents got involved, they often want to separate them and deal with things in ways that are not helpful at all. Exactly, exactly. Do you ever feel like you're doing this parenting thing alone, tired of searching the web for answers to all your parenting questions? Well, I've got you covered. You and I know it does take a village to raise a child, and I'd like to invite you to yours. Be the calm, confident, and peaceful parent you want to be with the support of my parenting membership community. Get all the support you deserve and create the family and home you've been dreaming of. In my parenting community, I share all the tools and strategies I've acquired over my many years of mentoring and helping families find their peace of mind and enjoy a stress-free family life. I've created this community for you to be the parent you want to be. Let go of the stress and overwhelm today and enjoy your parenting journey with your beautiful children. You both deserve it. In this community, you will find video tutorials that answer your parenting concerns and teach you how to support your child's healthy development. Monthly group coaching calls with me and all the other supportive members where I personally answer all your burning parenting questions. My parenting toolkit, which is full of resources that I've created over my many years of mentoring and speaking to parents and professionals worldwide. And what I love most about my parenting membership community is the amazing supportive village you can lean on. You and I know parenting was never meant to be done alone. So come meet your tribe in the supportive and encouraging village of like-minded parents. It's open 24 hours 7 just for you. Visit voilamontessori.com slash membership for more information and come join me today to become the parent you know you are meant to be. Um, yes, I wanted to pick up on something that you said earlier about praise. You said to not praise. And I know that um, some of my listeners are probably going, what does she really mean by that? Like, why wouldn't we want to praise or, you know, I, the, the good job that we hear a lot, what is kind of the, um, the contrary to, to, to maybe praising and saying good job too much? Well, uh, or what would... this is an interesting new one, and I would really encourage everybody to read Sheldweck's research on this, because children love praise. They just love it. And 
I, you know, I now say it's sort of like ice cream. A little bit is just fine. But if you give too much praise, children start to depend on it for their, instead of learning self-evaluation. And so, you know, we teach the difference between praise and encouragement. And praise teaches, uh, depending on others, encouragement teaches them to self-evaluation. For example, to say, I'm so proud of you for doing that, that's praise. To say, you must feel really good for doing that. You worked hard. Or it's helping it go back on the child recognizing what they have done that uh, has uh, gotten the results that they want. But Jean-Marie, I want to tell you one story. There was a woman wrote to me from Australia who had been trying to avoid all praise. And one day uh, she came home and told her mother she'd gotten this A. And her mother said, oh, you must feel good about that. You really worked hard. And her daughter said, Mom, can't you just say you're proud of me like every normal mom? <laughs> <laughs> and I just had to say, every child wants to hear a parent say that I'm proud of you. And, and right. like I said, it's like ice cream. You know, it's, it's a real treat that should be given. So I don't want to make parents paranoid about giving praise, but just to know the difference, to know when they might be giving so much that the child is starting to depend on it, rather than helping them recognize their own inner reward for when they do something that is comment word. Exactly. And it's 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 getting that feeling from from within that I'm I'm proud of myself before needing uh, the approval from from others around us. I want to tell you another story. One of the things that just annoys me is parents clapping all the time. No matter what their child does, they clap. (laughs) I just think, oh my gosh. (laughs) But one day I was watching my grandchild do something and I started clapping. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe it's an instinct, huh? Because because it's true. Like the whole, you know, the whole good job is like it 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 kind of comes out. You know, we we want to encourage and we want to 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 be there. But it's true that after a while, like you say, that whole you know ice cream analogy, I think, is really good. It's just little bits here and there, but not overdoing it. But the it, other so, thing is, yeah. is that when parents feel like they have to comment on every single thing a child does, and I, I hear, good job, no matter what they do, they poop in the toilet, oh, good job. It, <laughs> it is like to just leave children alone sometimes without having to comment on every single thing they do, good job. Yeah, yeah. What um, what would be one of the um, what parents are doing unknowingly to hinder their children's natural development? I mean, we talked about a few things, but is there one kind of general picture that you could uh, draw for families listening to us as to something to really be aware of as they are raising the next generation? I'm not sure what that would be other than what we have talked about, except to say yeah. why family meetings are my favorite tool. And the reason family meetings are my favorite tool from the child is the age four, that's when they are so good at coming up with solutions, is that it teaches children all of characteristics and life skills we want them. First of all, it teaches them to look for good things to appreciate about each other because you start every family meeting with compliments. 
And then when there are problems, to have them on the agenda. And I, I love this tool even for when there is a problem, kids are fighting to say, which one of you would like to put this on the agenda? Or they complain about something. See, that would be a good one to put on the agenda. Uh, and then that even starts the feeling of we will work on solutions. And then to kids brainstorm the solutions that work and that uh, people can choose the ones that really work for them. And so that whole mindset of there's, when there's a problem, there's a solution. And then ending with doing something fun together and putting on the calendar things that are need to be done. It's like whenever uh, parents still tell me that they're having challenges, I say, are you doing family? Because I know in my own family, they would diminish by 80%. Um, of course, you teach kids about focusing on solutions and they'll hold it to you because one time one of my sons came home. Oh, oh, I came home and saw a lot of dishes in the sink. And I said, who left their dishes in the sink? And my son said, are you looking for blame or are you looking for food? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, you've taught them well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they do hold you accountable when you teach them. Yeah, and, and, and what, you know, I know that some of our listeners don't necessarily know what family meetings are, but it, it is a beautiful tool within the positive discipline tools to really help come together and really help children become um, solutions. Like they, they have solutions. Everybody has a solution and really making it a, a democracy within your family of asking what everybody's solution is and being okay with following through with somebody else's solution. As a parent, we don't need to come up with all those solutions. And I think that is a beautiful tool that you've developed. But also it's important to, for parents not to think that, okay, children get to decide everything. Right. They get to pick the solution. It has to be agreeable to everyone. Right. And you keep uh, tabling it until it is. You know, in our book, Positive for Preschoolers, we have a whole chapter on the family meeting and the class meeting because I think it's equally important in the class. And uh, we, we share the example of uh, there's one Montessori school where they would put the three, four, and five-year-olds together. And so when they were going around sharing their appreciation and the little three-year-old would say, I had bananas on my cereal this morning. <laughs> so they just go on to the next person who will say thank you for something. Uh, because and it just seems like it, there's something about that later years, especially four, when they start getting more ready to come up with solutions that are more rational yeah. and, and reasonable. And yet the others, they like to include the three-year-olds. It goes back to that idea of teaching them even before they're ready right? in a way where they can observe and learn from yeah. their environment. And, and those are actually tools that I learned when I did your training when I was in a Montessori classroom. And I remember very well the classroom meetings that were just delightful to come together and really let the children come up with solutions that I sometimes thought were were kind of harsher than I would have ever imagined, but that's what they felt was necessary for, you know, there had been some playground incidents or or something. And but they they all agreed and that was the beauty of it. It was empowering them 
to come up with these solutions and then to follow through with them, which was amazing to, to witness. And especially when they come up with great solutions that I would never have thought Exactly, of. exactly. No, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Well, um, I know that we, we are need to wrap up and you have, you, you told me you had places to go, but um, is there anything that you would want uh, maybe advice to give to grandparents? Because I know that in the work that I'm doing these days, I have parents, you know, come to me and, and want to parent differently and just are aware that things that we now have better tools and such, but they're come, they come up to this roadblock with the, their own parents, uh, not always being in line with what they're doing because, you know, that's not the way I raised you or, or things like that, or even just anybody who would be opposed to, our more respectful way of child rearing. Do you have like any, um, I don't know, a story or, or some empowerment statements that you could help our parents who are wanting to parent differently and how they can change the mindset of those around them? No, I don't. Not really. Not as a quick thing. That, that there should be a whole program on that. It's like I just would not feel like I could do any justice to say any quick thing about that. It's just too complicated and too many things that have to be considered. Okay, so sorry. No, no, that's fine. That's fine uh, because the the you know sometimes I say what would be the elevator pitch you would say to to a family, but you you kind of said it early. You know, you kind of said it earlier about the the whole. Uh, you know, the spanking of crossing the street and, and, and things like that. It's it's really that understanding of really putting a mirror up to them and, and you know, letting them see it in a different light. So I think you've, you've touched on that quite a bit. Um, any any parting words, Any anything that you would like to leave our listeners with uh, today? I, I think I would say, Molly, that one of the things that I love is going back to the mistakes of wonderful opportunities to learn. Yes, and uh, this can really be hard for us to absorb. The understanding that uh, it's so much more healthier for children when they learn that mistakes is nothing to be ashamed of, and that it's not something that, that they feel, "Oh, I'm a terrible person." In fact, one of the things I suggest that at family meetings, every once in a while, or even around the dinner table, that everybody share a mistake they made and what they learned from it. So that parents uh, and children can even be excited when they make mistakes because it is part of the learning process. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's and, and to me, it's not only children. I mean, I think all of us need to be reminded that mistakes are, are a good thing. They, they help us do better next time. So That's why it gets back to modeling. We need to model. Okay, when they make mistakes, oh, I made a mistake. I wonder what I can learn from that. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jane, for having taken the time in your very busy schedule of traveling all over the world, sharing all of this beautiful knowledge. So really a big, big thank you to you. And thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. 
And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time. <laughs>